Welcome to Tales More Broad, the international education podcast where I casually interview students, faculty, staff, alumni, and friends of IUP. We talk about travel and how it changes and impacts lives. I'm Jess Mulvihill, seasoned international educator and avid global traveler, bringing you stories and inspirations from our Crimson Hawk community. If I were to have a Valentine's Day special, this would be it. Uh, today on the show are my friends Chad and Chelsea Buckwalter, uh, and I want you to listen along as they sort of meander through their memories and reminisce about their individual time in China, um, and then how they found their way back to the U.S., IUP, and ultimately each other. Hi, uh, my name is Chelsea Buckwalter. And I'm Chad Buckwalter. I'm a... Yeah. 2009 IEP graduate. And I graduated in 2006. Okay. And um, not brother and sister. They are a married couple. <laughs> so, but um, did you guys know that so you're both IUP alumni? And uh, did you guys know each other at IUP when you were undergrads? We did, actually. Um, I served on the board of trustees as the student trustee. And when I was graduating, I had to interview people to replace me and I interviewed Chad and um, I didn't know him before that, but he impressed me so much and the, the committee selected him to replace me on the board. And, and after that, we, um, we, we kept in contact while I was still at IUP and, and if I had trustee questions, <laughs> I, I would shoot them Chelsea's way. And then um, when, I was going abroad. She was also looking at going abroad um, to China, and we had a couple conversations about that as well. Talk to me about you going uh, abroad when you were an undergrad. You, you both went, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I, um, in my sophomore year, I started studying Arabic. Um, and so I don't think there was an official IUP study abroad program at that time, um, but my classmates and I, we found this cool program in Egypt and we all went together and it was the first time I had really left the country other than Canada. Um, and it was, it was just the most amazing experience that I, I had had up to that point. And it really, um, I don't know, after that, I just didn't want to stay in one place for very long. <laughs> what was your major? Uh, I, I majored in finance with a minor in French and then a concentration in Arabic since they didn't offer it as a full minor. Um, but yeah, I was, I was in Alexandria, Egypt for about six weeks and we traveled all over the country. I got to stop in the Moscow airport as a layover. So that was kind of cool. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was an amazing experience. Uh, my experience uh, very similarly stemmed from um, taking language courses in, I, I believe my sophomore year, um, first semester, I started Chinese language courses with Dr. Chandler. And um, at that time I hadn't really considered going abroad and I was working on changing my major and I, I believe I was undeclared business and I went to business management and then eventually landed on international business. And at the time, and I, I believe still um, to this date, international business has a, a study abroad component. And um, so when I started planning um, on, on where I was going to go, I, with my Chinese language skills, it, it seemed like China 
China was my main focus. And I worked with uh, the OIE to, to, uh, to set that up. And I believe I was in the, uh, the first group to, uh, with the Sichuan University Exchange Program. I believe we were the first three students from IEP to, to be part of that exchange program. And okay, so that was your that was your undergrad, and then you came back, and you both graduated. And then what happened? Well, for me, I graduated what three years before you, mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't so. Like I said, my major was finance, but I really didn't want to sit in an office. I had you know been abroad, and I loved languages, so I ended up going to Spain, um, and I. It was like a study abroad, but I had already graduated, so I just paid for it out of pocket. Um, I studied Spanish, um, lived on the Mediterranean coast for a few months. Um, <laughs> and then uh, my friend had, uh, he had gone to abroad to China to teach and he said, you know, he could hook me up with a job. So I went expecting to stay there for one semester, maybe two. And I ended up staying for six years. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So then I was, you know, no longer a student, really. I was there in a, a working capacity um, and just really, you know, loving the language, the culture, the food, everything about it. And you were teaching? Yes, teaching. Um, I started off teaching at the university level and then I taught um, mid-level management at a, at a car company, actually Daimler-Benz. They have a, a factory in the city I lived in. So they needed an English teacher um, to teach them how to, you know, um, communicate with their partners abroad. And then for the last four years, I taught children, which was my favorite age group. <laughs> That's exciting. I didn't know that you worked at the the car company. Yeah, yeah, it was it was short term, um, but it was it was a really fun experience because it was a small group. There was about twelve people, and they were all really excited to learn it because they were using it every day. Um, so I really enjoyed working with them. How do you? So you're you're in China working already teaching English. How do you find a job like that and, and go to? I mean, the the second job. Yeah, there's well, there's a lot of different ways. I'm sure Chad can expand on it more, but. Um, sometimes it's just word of mouth. Sometimes, um, I mean, there's only, the city I lived in was relatively small by Chinese standards. So only six to 7 million people. Um, and there were only so many English schools. So I kind of knew what my options were. You know, there's always the opportunity to teach private classes where you can make a little bit more money when you do one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so really there's just a a lot of opportunities once you're there you can find work pretty easy okay. yeah I, so i spent um around five years in beijing after graduation and beijing the market um at that time from 2009 to 2014 the market for teachers or foreign teachers or anyone um anyone who wanted to work in education was huge um there were many expat websites there are classified ads I, I'm sure the Beijinger.com probably had 400 new uh, teaching positions a day. It, it was it was crazy, but um, the the market was uh, very inviting. And um, at that time, it was easier to get a visa to stay in China, easier to get a long-term residence permit so that you can stay and work. And um, where I live, the pay was really good as well. So you could you know, um, 
come to China, go to China um, without much experience in education, but have a bachelor's degree and start teaching different level courses. And eventually, um, I think a lot of teachers and people who work in education kind of, they find their niche and, and find what age group they like to teach and what kind of facility they like to teach at. And they start developing curriculum and, and begin to expand and become more than just a teacher and, and almost uh, you know, a staple in some of, in some of the, the um, educational facilities there in China. And um, I, it was a great experience. It was, it was yeah. fun. Um, you get to save a lot of money. The cost of living at, at that time was, was, was really low. So. Um, well, and I think also to Chad's point, once you're there, if you're teaching for a while, there's like, I did um, voice recordings where I would record, you know, like when you're in a language class and you have to listen to the recording of two people talking. So I would do that. Um, I consulted with a kindergarten or a publishing company who was doing a kindergarten book um, in English. And so I, I helped them better phrase some of the wording and um, things like that. So there's really a lot of different avenues you can go down. There's also the, um, what's the IELTS testing? Mm -hmm. You can be a, a tester for different language tests. Um, so yeah, lots of cool, cool opportunities. I, I think during my time there, I worked at pretty much every educational level. Um, I started in second and third grade teaching English. Then I expanded to to more of a K through 12 position. I did some university lecturing, um, some consulting with Microsoft and other companies that were located, you know, near where I lived. And I, I think my my lecturing uh, university lecturer position, I I was just riding my bicycle through campus because I lived across the street from campus and I, I was flagged down. <laughs> because um, one of their one of their teachers had just kind of left, and um, they said, "Where do you live? Do you need a job? Do you want to work?" And and I, I just said, "Well, actually, I live across the street, so it would be really convenient for me to get here two nights a week." And uh, so so I think you know there are a lot of websites to find positions. Word of mouth after you've been there a while. And then just random opportunities where you meet people. I, I think the expat community um, is, is it, it may be large in number, but it seems small. Mm -hmm. um, everyone knows everyone. So if there is a position that I know somebody would be great for, send them a message or post it on one of our, our group chats saying, hey, does anybody know how to get in touch with this person? There's a great opportunity for them. So, so I think that community is is very strong in a lot of cities and a lot of places abroad. And I so just think, want, I, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, and I think with technology, so when I went to China for the first time, it was 2008. So there weren't really smartphones, there wasn't Wi-Fi everywhere. So it was a little more challenging to get a job then. Um, but then when I moved in 2012 to a different city in China, they had the Go Kunming website, which had all kinds of stuff. You know, if you want a language partner, if you want a job. So I really think, and I'm sure now the first city I lived in has that too. So it just, over time, technology also made it so much easier to connect with people and with jobs. I just want to clarify for our listeners, when you guys uh, went to China, when you're talking about now your experiences, were you living in the same city? Is each other. We were not. No, I, 
so when I first moved to China after graduation, I lived in, um, well, I lived in a very small, um, I, I guess we would call it a, a village in China. It maybe had about 350,000 people. Um, and we, we, you know, that's a, that was a village. And I was told at the time, it is such a small place that there's not even a KFC is what somebody said to me. <laughs> Um, because KFC is everywhere, maybe on every block in a big city. So it was, it was a small village that did not have a KFC. And then um, uh, a few months later, I moved to the city. I moved to Beijing and stayed there the entire time. Yeah, we didn't live in the same city at any point okay. during our time in China because we weren't dating at that point. <laughs> we were just friends that kept in touch. And I know we had tried to go on a couple of like trips to Tibet mm -hmm. and, you know, other things around China and they ended up falling through. But um, we saw each other once in China when my sister came to visit and I took her to Beijing. And Chad graciously showed us around the city and he bought us Beijing duck for dinner and uh, it was wonderful. Overlooking Tiananmen Square yeah. and the Forbidden City. And so. we got in a minor car accident. Um, <laughs> one was fine, That's just some angry cab drivers yelling at each other. Yeah. Just another day in Beijing. <laughs> okay, so you, who decided to come home first? I did. Um, I decided, you know, I'd, I'd been there for six years. I had been studying Chinese really um seriously the last two years and I was ready to come home and have some stability and look for a job that would allow me to stay in the U.S. for a while um so I came home in July of 2012 um and Chad 2014 oh yeah 2014 sorry July of 2014 um and Chad got back in September of the same year I think September 1st of 2014 and for, for me, it was, it, I spent five years there. I only came home one time um, during those five years. I, I went on vacations. I, I got to travel around a lot of, uh, um, a lot of different countries in Asia. But um, I, I think similar to what Chelsea said, I wanted a little stability. Um, I, I think, you know, the one thing about uh, living in China at the time was, um, we were foreigners and um, being a foreigner, it was very difficult to do things like qualify for a license plate or buy a car or buy a house or own a business. Um, there, there were significant hurdles involved mm -hmm. um, with that or have a retirement fund or, or um, in my case, I had applied to graduate school and it was a distance education program, but that year, um, uh, I, I believe around June 1st, around uh, right near the anniversary, I think 25th anniversary of Tiananmen Square, um, Google had shut down its offices in Beijing and all of its operations in China, which was going to make um, uh, learning at a US institution extremely difficult. So, so I think there were a lot of hurdles and, and I just said, maybe, maybe it's time to go home for a little bit. What was the re-entry like for you guys? <laughs> It was rough. It was You're both really laughing. I know my, my listeners can't see you, but uh, <laughs> I want to hear about this. Oh, it was rough. Um, well, I was just going to say too, one of the, one of the other reasons I wanted to come home is because it just, it ends up being a very transient lifestyle. People come and go into your life because nobody, China isn't really anybody's 
permanent home if you're not from there. So, you know, at some point you're going to have to sell the stuff you bought and you're going to have to say goodbye to your friends and come home. So I was really looking forward to being able to have, you know, build relationships that weren't going to be over in a year or two. Um, so coming home, um, I remember I came home shortly before my 30th birthday and I I was a little depressed because I had, you know, no car at that point. I was living at my mom's. I didn't have a job. And I was just like, you know, what do I do? Like, this is, this is really rough because um, I have these language skills. I've been abroad, but I don't know, like at, at that time, I, I didn't know how to translate that into any kind of job. Um, and I, my finance degree, I had never really used it. And so I, I was a little lost. Um, most of my friends were were married or had kids or had moved away so it was it was a little isolating um and also i had to get readjusted to american food <laughs> um dairy was not something i ate a lot in china so um it was a little it was a little hard to get used to it again back in america yeah i i, I think i really struggled when when i first got back um i remember about a month and a half before um, my flight, I was still in Beijing and I was um, working on scheduling interviews. I was applying to a lot of jobs in international education, study abroad positions, um, international student service positions. And um, I, I received a few callbacks and they were mainly focused on, on why I'm not in the US currently. <laughs> um, and trying to explain that, well, I, I, I'm coming back in, in a, you know, a month or three weeks. Um, it, it seemed that they're, you know, not having that experience of working in international education for a US institution was really holding me back from, from getting a position in that field here in the US. And trying to translate and unpack my experience um, when I wasn't back yet and, and I wasn't going through kind of that culture shock, that re-entry shock um, yet um, was very, very difficult and challenging. Now, I, I will say, I think um, starting the first week I got back, I was texting Chelsea quite a bit and we were just talking about China. We had, we had very similar experiences and I think it really helped us to, to talk about those and, and, and to share those experiences to help unpack what they meant in our lives so that we were better able to, to adjust and reacclimate to the US. But yeah, the food, the, I, I, I think the second day I was home, I went out for, uh, uh, for lunch with my dad to a place in our hometown called the Family Cupboard. And the Family Cupboard is like, um, it's a Mennonite and Amish style buffet restaurant. And I could not believe the portion size. I ordered a sandwich, it was cut into four. And then they brought out a plate of chips separate because my sandwich was overflowing on the plate. And I remember, I, I think I ate uh, about a third of the sandwich and I'm like, this is ridiculous. I, I can't eat like this anymore. Well, do you remember um, my dad made fun of us? Cause he took, yeah. my dad took us <laughs> to this nice fancy restaurant and we could barely eat cause the portions were so big. And he's like, man, you guys are cheap dates. <laughs> but yep. yeah, we, we were just overwhelmed by the, the size of the food here. And now we're used to it again. So yeah. we like, you know, the bigger portions, the better, but. Or the grocery store, walking oh, through yeah. an aisle where there's 37 different types of ketchup to buy and. Cheese. And, when we saw all the different kinds of cheeses. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you, you, it's, it's the little things that 
over five or six years, you kind of forget about those things because the new normal, your new normal and your new environment is something that is just completely different. Um, but it, it did, it took a little while to, to get back into the swing of things here in the U.S. And one of the things we, we really um, kind of made a point to do during the first few weeks was to look at the sky because in the city I lived in, it was pretty clear. The pollution wasn't too bad. So I could see the sky most days. Um, but in Beijing, it wasn't something that chat, you know, sunsets and sunrises and, and blue skies and a clear starry night. These weren't things that we had seen for a long time and didn't realize how much we had missed it. Um, so we would go and just like watch the sunset every day and just be like amazed at the clouds and the colors. And um, it was something we did for a while. <laughs> Probably a month, month and a half, every yeah. single night. And I remember driving one day, I think we were in Indiana and, and I, I was looking at the clouds and I was like, I need to pay attention to the road and not like, <laughs> but it, to me, it looked like um, uh, the opening of the Simpsons. Uh, where, where it's like blue sky and clouds and, and it's something you know that we would see from time to time in Beijing but 2009 to 2014 was was really an era of heavy pollution in the city where I wore ma a mask probably at least 150 days a year if not more yeah I got um, yelled at when I went to visit him and I didn't have a mask on he's like what are you doing first thing he said to me not like Hey, how's it going? Hey, how have you been? Haven't seen you for five years. It's why aren't you wearing a mask? <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, it's it's atypical to see somebody walking around Beijing at that time not wearing a mask. So, because so I think yeah. so that's something that we really you know appreciated when we got back and made a point to to always kind of take it in. So, what is there anything that you miss about being in China? The food. Yeah, the food. The food. Back to food again. <laughs> Oh. Well, I mean, last night, Chelsea made Chinese food. We had dumplings, we had eggs and tomato. Um, I mean, I don't do it justice, but. But yeah, the, the food and, and really, when I, when I lived there, I did not cook all that often because I could just go to a window on the street and for like 65 cents get, I don't know, like a half gallon of noodles that, that are cooked with tofu and spicy sauces and, and cucumbers and, and, and had the most amazing flavor. So, so it, you know, the ease of getting food in all of the different flavors all around China, there, there are different cuisines that, that we got to experience that um, here we have Chinese food. And um, our, the Americanized version of Chinese food is, is very, very different. So, even now, when we go to a, a Chinese restaurant, we ask if they have a Chinese menu, and we order off the Chinese menu instead of the, the like the general so's and the Americanized yeah. menu. Yeah. So um, I think another thing that I miss is like when I first went, I, I spoke no Chinese, um, so everything was an adventure. Um, I remember one time I had to buy a mirror. And I had to learn how to say the words for mirror and the sizes I wanted and how to say like hang up and, you know, just all of the, this little task of going to buy a mirror turned into like a full day project, but it was, 
it was exciting. It was fun. And then, you know, the guy comes over and he, he hangs it not straight on my wall. <laughs> um, so then I have to figure out how to say crooked, you know, just like this whole thing. But, yeah. you know, I, it, it was just every day you, you didn't really know what was going to happen. You didn't know what new food you were going to try or, or what street you were going to go down and what crazy thing you might see. I'm sorry. See, we, we, I mean, on the, on the roads, you would see some crazy things piled up on bikes and people moving things um, with their like bicycles or motorbikes or I don't know. There was just always something, something and, new. And, you know, I, I've worn slip-on vans most of my life, but I, I never appreciated them so much um, when I was in Beijing and I got my shoelace stuck in an escalator and it ripped out. And may, that was maybe two or three weeks into my stay I, um, in my time in Beijing. And, and I had no idea how to say shoelace or where to even buy a shoelace. <laughs> and I, I mean, this was before I think Google Maps was, was really um, heavily used in China or, so I had no idea how to buy shoelaces. So then I just switched to slip on vans, which I still wear today. And um, yeah, it just, funny stories and crazy oh, yeah. adventures and like the cultural nuances like in chinese the word for dumpling sounds very similar to the word for sleep so i would often mispronounce it and people would just be like why are you asking me for sleep like they they just had no idea what i was trying to say and it would always end up being like me trying to do all kinds of hand gestures and i don't know <laughs> but things like that though just the little nuances of life abroad that that you don't that you don't really have here because you understand how it works here. You understand how to communicate. Um, I don't know. Those little things are, yeah. are probably the best memories that I have. I, every day was was challenging and exciting. And not saying that every day isn't challenging and exciting it's here. Just different. It's, it's a different <laughs> type of challenging yeah. and exciting. And you really, I, I think you have to have an open mind and you have mm -hmm. to really um, I, I think for me, it was it was not letting things get to me and really just, okay, I'm saying this wrong. I need to relearn this or I need to work on this. And so that next time I'm able to do this better. Um, so I think you're constantly working on yourself to be better every single day, um, which is something that, that I, I, I do miss. Well, you're still not living with your mom and um, you guys have figured out your life, I think a bit. So where, what are you guys doing now? Well, you know what? I want to back up a minute. Chelsea, I want to ask you about your time at Pitt too. If you can just. Oh, okay. Um, well, I was going to say before that, even, you know what the catalyst was for us to start dating, right? Uh, I, you're welcome to tell the listeners. Um, <laughs> it was the OIE homecoming float um, for the 2014 homecoming parade. Yep. Uh, Chad and I were both invited. Yeah, Waldo. And yeah. Where, where in the world are you? Did you study abroad? Did you study I think? abroad, yeah, with yeah. the Waldo, or where's Waldo theme? Yep. So yeah, we both came back. Well, you you already living in Indiana, and I yep. have kind of moved away to my dad's house, but then I came back for the homecoming parade, and we met up the day before, and then we were just, we've been together ever since. Every <laughs> day. So it's our the, Valentine's special. Yeah, the homecoming parade really brought us together. And mm -hmm. I don't know, like we've often joked, like what would have happened if 
if we hadn't both been invited back as alumni to to the parade, we don't know what would have happened. Mm -hmm. you, I'm so glad you were there, though. And I don't know where I'd be. I don't know where we'd be. So. <laughs> then where did you go from there then? Um, so I worked at IUP for a bit um, at the Everly College of Business. And then I decided that I, I wanted to go back to grad school. And um, I still wasn't having great luck because I didn't have a ton of experience in finance with my degree. And I didn't have any professional certifications for teaching, even though I had years of experience. So I decided to go back to, um, to Pitt for my grad degree. And I was really fortunate that I received the Foreign Language and Area Studies Fellowship from the Department of Education based on my Chinese language ability. So I ended up getting my entire grad school paid for through that fellowship, which I never would have been able to do if I hadn't you know, gone abroad and, and learned this language that I love so well. Um, so I studied it um, for the four semesters that I was at Pitt in grad school, which was really challenging because I had my four grad level classes plus a fifth language class that was very intense. Um, and it was, but it really, um, studying it, having that solid base from living there and then studying it at Pitt, I feel like it just made my Chinese so good. Um, and the last semester I took a translation class and it was probably one of my favorite classes. My final project was to translate a book. I mean, I chose to translate a book as my final project, I guess. And it turned out really cool. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a really cool time. And I guess after I returned um, to the U.S. from Beijing, um, I showed up at the Office of International <laughs> Education one random day at IUP, you and I, I asked, and you were stalking outside of our door. I, I, I was, and you I'm wouldn't like, leave. <laughs> I, I, I need some work, <laughs> um, and I. I I stopped in to to ask about um, if there were any open positions or anything that I could do around the office, um, just to stay connected um, to to the field of international education and to to get some experience here in the U.S. And I that went from an internship to um, to a full time. You tempt, position. you tempt for me when I was on maternity leave. I think right? I did. I did. So I I did the faculty led programming mm -hmm. for for a number of months while you were out, mm -hmm. and and that turned into a full time position on the international student and scholar services side. And um, while I was at IUP, I was completing my master's degree in global and international education at Drexel University, and um, I finished that in 2016. Yeah, and I think, you know, we had a rough transition coming back, but then, and even, you know, once we were back and we were dating and Chad was in school, um, you know, we were also like, he was delivering pizzas and I was waitressing and, you know, also working at Everly. So we had to juggle a few jobs and then we had to juggle master's degrees. But now, um, you know, a few years later, we are, you know, we have, we're down to one job each. Um, we are hoping to travel again as soon as we can. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but, and, and now we live in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, we moved here in 2018, September of 2018. And I took a job at Denison University where um, I'm now the Associate Director of Operations for the Center for Global Programs. 
And I'm a research analyst at the Ohio Housing Finance Agency, um, which is the, the state agency for affordable housing. Um, so not many opportunities to use my Chinese language skills, but I'm hoping one day there will be. <laughs> okay, great. And Chad, you're going back to school, right? You go back to school yeah. again? Yes, I, I am. Professional student. I, I, I think it's my 20th year of yeah. school, we figured. Welcome so, to the club. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm doing um, a doctoral program in educational leadership and management at Drexel University. So um, I, I, I actually, on Monday, I start my second quarter. So it's, uh, it'll be a long journey. I have about four years yet, but. Uh, <laughs> we'll stick with it. It's worth it. Yep. You guys are. Uh... Just such a delight to talk to. Um, I've known you guys for a long time and uh, always happy to see you. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thank yeah, you. It's great. You're going to have to have a follow up uh, session where you just tell stories about China. Yeah, oh, I think we could fill up a good half hour. Yeah, hour we have so many. That sounds great. All right. Thank you guys so much. And that's the show for today. So thanks so much for joining us and stay safe until next time. I want to thank Indiana University of Pennsylvania and the IUP Office of International Education and the Greater International Education Community for the support of this podcast. Do you know of a guest that we should have on the show? Drop me a line at jess at iup.edu and be sure to follow us at iuphawksabroad on Instagram. <laughs>